Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Monday, September 11th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. Let's get into the big news today. The House is now back in Washington after the August recess. The amount of tech on their agenda, well, we'll talk about that today. <laughs> Joining me to forecast the next several months are political reporters Rebecca Kern. Hey. And Brendan Bordelon. Hey there. Last week, the three of us talked about the Senate and what to expect. This week, we're shifting focus to the other chamber. So the House is a more political animal right now uh, compared to the Senate. You know, Rebecca and Brendan, what are you kind of anticipating they'll get done in the next few months? I don't think there's going to be necessarily a ton of things on tech. Uh, you know, I think Rebecca can talk about some of the uh, political reasons that that's the case. I think we are likely to see some piecemeal moves uh, in the emerging tech space, particularly when it comes to AI and quantum. Uh, and we can talk about that in a second. But um, yeah, some of these more sweeping issues. I think even on those issues, uh, the House is looking a little more like small ball, a little bit less ambitious than the kind of things that uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is looking on, particularly when it comes to AI. And again, you know, that's something we can we can dive into in a bit. Yeah, I think it's a lot more politicized um, in the tech space. We're seeing less bipartisan cooperation and having tech as the joint enemy, which we had seen in in past Congresses. Jim Jordan has a very political investigation into the Biden administration's alleged collusion with tech companies to allegedly censor um, content online. And tech companies are, are more or less caught in the middle of that fight. Well, let's start there with this investigation that Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan is leading because he's, you know, <laughs> issuing questions and subpoenas to tech executives, researchers, folks in the administration. Right. It's very broad and, and, as you said, does have a very political angle to it. Yeah. Is that going to take up most of the oxygen for Republicans in the House in the fall? I think, yes. He's also been doing this since he started. He actually started sending these letters last December before he was officially chair. So he has had this in his target um, a long time. I think it's really good in terms of talking points um, going into next year's election. And there is a lot of debate as to whether or not, you know, there's truth behind this. But I have, you know, enough people have said if, you know, a Republican administration were doing this to tech companies, Democrats would also be upset, you know. So no one really wants to see a lot of pushing on private entities to do things. This The question and what, what Jim Jordan's saying is that it violates the First Amendment. Whether or not it does, there is an existing court case out there called Missouri v. Biden. And Jordan's been able to use discovery from that court case as evidence, evidence in quotes, in his investigation. Some of these are uncovered emails between Biden officials and tech companies. Some of them use very strong language like the F-bomb. Aren't you doing this to Facebook? And, right. But we have to recognize this was a very specific time. This was early days of Biden in the middle of COVID. And arguably, um, tech companies weren't doing enough to remove misinformation, which they literally did have policies that saying they would remove that, it. That is the central issue is uh, like the the companies were removing misinformation related yes. to COVID yes. and related to the election. Yes. And Jim Jordan is sort of arguing that that is an He's example of censorship. He's spinning that as saying yeah, that is censorship. So um, and this is not not a new topic, the topic of jawboning, Jordan, um, you know, Brendan and I have written about before, which is, 
you know, allegedly a government entity like pressuring a private company to do something. And ironically, some would say this is Jim Jordan job voting yeah. <laughs> the Biden administration and <laughs> tech companies. So, you know, but um, he is in charge, so he can do what he wants here. I've asked folks, there's nothing technically illegal about what he's doing. He's allowed to um, subpoena folks. It's unusual right. that usually you put it information requests and give companies time to respond. And often within a week, they are now they're being subpoenaed, which is very unusual. And one other thing is researchers are also getting caught in the middle. And, and this as something to watch for 2024, because it could be intimidating people from actually wanting to research the disinformation right. around elections. And that could be very scary for our democracy. I mean, literally, some of these researchers are getting death threats at their house and um, potential pulling of funding and support from universities because this is a liability for them. We're heading into a, an election year. I would imagine that uh, we might start to see even more sort of fireworks and, yes. uh, you know, uh, e efforts to get get media attention and, yes. and just sort of get these political talking points yeah. out there. And it wouldn't be the first time that uh, I think either party, uh, but I think to be frank, especially Republicans, have used, you know, the, the pinata of big tech as a sort of a political, uh, you know, a talking point and, and way to kind of prepare for the, oh, the yeah, an election cycle. Fundraising emails yeah. um, around conservative censorship by social media companies. Yes, yeah. we've, we've seen that in past election cycles. We might, we might um, see a Republican candidate uh, start to do that again soon. Yeah, maybe several. <laughs> right. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Brendan, there does seem to be some stuff moving in the in the realm of AI. Uh, can you talk a bit about what we're actually expected to see and, and what the House might tackle in the next few months? Yeah, yeah. Under the political radar, uh, things are moving. Um, it, it's actually much less high profile than what's going on in the Senate, uh, where we talked about last week, I think, you know, Chuck Schumer's sweeping approach to AI legislation. Um, but I actually think this stuff is, is achievable uh, in, in a way that maybe the Senate stuff uh, is not, even if it's quite small ball. So um, one of the big things that the House is focusing on, there was legislation that dropped a few weeks ago ahead of the recess it would create the National AI Research Resource, uh, but so NAIR. Uh, what it really is is basically like a cloud computing sort of program for startups and small researchers to be able to play with advanced AI models. So like right now, um, the amount of computing power that you need to actually research or work on like a big AI model is, is so through the roof that only the big companies really have the resources. I mean, we're talking like, you know, we're yeah. probably not far off from like a, a billion dollar model, that kind of thing. So Google, OpenAI, Microsoft, like they, they can do this stuff. But if you're a researcher, even at a big, you know, well-resourced institution like Stanford, like good luck getting your hands on that. There are governments that would like to see a way for sort of a public sector um, sandbox for these researchers and small, smaller AI companies to work on this. Um, the UK is actually moving on this. And this would be the US sort of version of that. Um, there is not any money attached to this bill. It's just an authorizing thing. So we'd, we'd set it up and the key voices here are the House um, Science Committee members. So um, Frank Lucas is the chair. Zoe Lofgren is the ranking member. 
Neither of them are very bullish on the prospect of money. So the Biden administration would like $2.6 billion for this over six years, which is actually pretty small potatoes yeah, in the AI. a ton of money. Uh, so yeah. The government's got a lot more than that, but just getting getting the purse strings to loosen. But they, they're, yeah, Lucas doesn't really want to spend that money. He's talking about a pilot program. Um, that would still be a big step, though. I think, you know, the researchers I talked to were like, just get it on paper. Let's get moving on that. Is the goal of this sandbox to just, like, give researchers access to it? Is it to, like, make AI more competitive yeah. so it's not locked up in these I mean, all companies? of the above. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of fear at the moment that AI is kind of running away with a handful of companies. Um, that You know, there's potential antitrust issues down the line, I think, that would arise from that. Um, there's also just sort of a sense of we should have more minds in the room, uh, the best minds in the room, and maybe not the minds in the room that are solely focused on profit. You know, we, let's get some non nonprofit researchers in there. Let's get some folks, you know, increase competition. Um, it is all really about sort of like expanding the space uh, for like sort of the best minds to work on this uh, beyond the ones that have already been kind of snapped up by Google, OpenAI and the, right. the big players. Is there a companion legislation in the Senate to establish this? There is. This? There is. Uh, okay. The House has taken the lead, I, I think, for the most part. Um, you, you see this a lot on science issues, I think, because they have the House has an express sort of science committee. Right. Uh, you, you, you tend to see them kind of move uh, a little more aggressively here. But there is companion legislation in the Senate. Uh, I'm pretty confident this this will get passed. But again, until there's money attached, um, it's kind of just a placeholder. So right. an important one. But And another issue that is probably even more forward-looking and future-looking yeah. than AI is quantum computing. Um, is there much happening on the House side with quantum? Are there folks who have sort of taken that niche area on as a as part of their legislative mandate, if you will? Yes. Uh, there is something that kind of like has to happen. I'm putting has in quotes here because like there's <laughs> it is the House. And so like they often uh, do not pass things that have to pass. But um, there is a the National Quantum Initiative, uh, which has been this very successful, I think, by all accounts program uh, run out of um, NIST uh, over the last few years is expiring. There does need to be a reauthorization of that program. Again, it's pretty low, like small potatoes. And in some ways, there's not a ton of money attached, but it it has been, I think, very effective in in, um, uh, research in this space. I should back up and just, you know, briefly say what quantum is, Uh, very like small particles acting very strangely and having all sorts of impacts in terms of uh, encryption, um, you know, breaking sort of like encryption, the way the US government has encrypted secure messages for a very long time, Uh, things related to like quantum computing. So these are like computers that can solve problems that classical computers were taking millions of years to solve. Uh, Depending who you talk to, we're either like, you know, 30 years out from these things or like two to three years out. So there's a wide range of people who say like, this is going to sort of change the world. I think especially in in concert with AI, if you can put an AI model and, and, you know, strap that onto a quantum computer that's millions of times more powerful than a classical computer, uh, you know, away we go. But there hasn't been a ton of money attached to this either. Um, And that's one of the other things. So people would also like to see the development of a quantum supercomputer by the federal government. Companies would really like to see this because they would like to start playing with it. There are classical supercomputers run by the government that uh, have been, I think, quite successful uh, in solving a lot of problems uh, with things related to weather and, you know, drug synthesis. And and, and I think there's a question of, of, you know, whether the money can be found to build something like that. 
that is probably not going to happen in this Congress either. Uh, How much does a pressure, quantum supercomputer cost? I think it's going to start out in like a few billion, uh, but that's going to be like kind of like seed money, uh, right, uh, for that kind of thing. And so it would be expensive. Yeah, I think probably in some ways more expensive than the AI cloud sort of operation that we're talking about here. Um, businesses would probably put up part of the bill as well. I think there's a sense. So like IBM is really like uh, keyed in on this and, and they're in some ways, uh, you know, at the forefront of the quantum stuff. So I think they would probably be involved. We're going to have to pass these like low-hanging authorization, quantum authorizations first. Um, again, I think how science is very focused on uh, the, those quantum uh, uh, questions can maybe almost to the expense or at the expense of AI. I think right. there's, I've talked to folks over there that sometimes say like, well, the Senate's doing that, so we're going to do quantum because somebody's got to do quantum. So, uh, yeah, uh, but the emerging tech stuff, I mean – it's not political. Uh, it is complicated because it's expensive. So yeah. that's uh, and that's kind of where we find ourselves in the house right now. Well, let's finish out with a very quick rapid fire. And last week, if you listen to our Senate episode, we struggled in the rapid fire round. <laughs> but I have every confidence we're going to deliver this time. Our colleague Josh Disco reported this story about the House ENC committee potentially taking up an antitrust bill that had pre- previously been in judiciary. Any chance you guys think of that gaining some traction? I think it's. A far off shot um, because this is technically originating from a judiciary committee first in the Senate and House CNC and judiciary don't always get along. And so even if we have Representative Kat McCormick from a Republican from Florida who's saying she's interested in leading her co-sponsoring that bill, it's called the Open App, App Markets Act, which would force Apple and Google to allow third-party providers um, to offer in-app um, purchases and, and allow third-party app stores on those, on those phones. Even if House CNC were to introduce this bill, they're going to have a future fight with House Judiciary, right? Over for, jurisdiction, for, for, yeah, yeah, for jurisdiction. And and Jim Jordan just has totally cut the legs out of the antitrust subcommittee. Um, I mean, Ken Buck was demoted <laughs> off leading it, and that to me, I mean, says very directly Jim Jordan doesn't care to regulate um, antitrust, and he put Thomas Massey in charge of that committee who doesn't see this as a priority. I mean, yeah. I don't think they've had any antitrust subcommittee hearings even. Yeah, I think the key committees have moved on and, and ENC and, and in judiciary, uh, I think they're, they're focused on other issues, ENC on privacy, uh, judiciary on whatever Jim Jordan uh, thinks is, is important and uh, in the given day when it comes to the uh, the um, sort of browbeating of the tech companies over censorship. So I, I think just like in the Senate, antitrust is probably not going anywhere this cycle. And then TikTok, you know, the House has a lot of China hawks who tend to be the most critical of TikTok and have in the past vocalized trying to do something on TikTok. Will they do anything on TikTok? Yeah, I think the House is uh, looking at the Senate's efforts in this space and saying they don't go far enough. So, um, you know, the Mark Warner, John Thune bill that we talked about last week, the idea that, you know, they were going to give the the Biden administration more authorities to ban TikTok. The House, these China hawks are like, we should just pass a bill saying they're going to ban TikTok altogether, which... I, I don't think would actually uh, go anywhere in court or anywhere else, but I think uh, it's sort of indicative of where the House is on this issue. Um, feels a little more political than actually uh, plausible uh, when it comes to what they want to do here. And again, you know, folks have kind of moved on, I think, in both chambers on that question. So um, I don't see a lot of movement on on TikTok or um, honestly on a lot of China stuff generally, I think beyond potentially uh, research security restrictions. So there has been stuff in, in the House defense bill uh, when it comes to the ability of U.S. and China researchers to collaborate. The uh, House Republicans would like to crack down on that. I think some people in the Senate are worried about that. So 
TikTok, no, but I think you might see some fights over the ability of U.S. and Chinese researchers to work together and how far those could go. I think there is an effort to crack down on that, and we'll, we'll see where that ends up uh, in some of the defense bills coming down the pike. Well, let's close out with just a quick comment then on privacy. I know in our last episode we touched on Congresswoman McMorris-Rogers, yeah. right, has a bill potentially coming out. Is that the big I, thing That's to watch? what she says. Yeah, we've been waiting all year long. And, you know, it's the American Data Privacy and Protection Act. She introduced it with uh, Frank Pallone. And actually last year uh, when Roger Wicker was ranking member in Senate Commerce Committee, he was signing on too. We did not have Cantwell, so it never moved in the Senate. But um, it made it through committee last year um, in a quite bipartisan vote. I think what we're watching for is Kathy McMorris Rogers to put her spin on it now that she's chair. Yeah. But if she spins too hard, she will lose Democrats. And and Brendan and I have already reported with our colleague um, Alfred Ning about some of the fights about like giving law enforcement access to data broker data data and um, the concerns from Democrats that this could be tracked for to um, women seeking abortions. They've been very um, tight-lipped because they know when content gets out in the press, it does break down some of their negotiations. So they're not saying a lot. I don't think even if it is introduced, they'll have time to move it. So, And there's no appetite in the Senate for – I mean right now we're not seeing a yeah, federal I, I, privacy bill there. It seems like McMorris Rogers is, is you know, renegotiating the deal that they had last cycle uh, with, on privacy, and that is causing a lot of problems in terms of just timing. I mean, we're in September now, and then there's still no bill. Um, you know, she told me specifically a few months ago that we're going to have a new deal because Republicans are now in the majority. Uh, I do think that the state efforts on privacy are taking a lot of the wind out of the sails uh, yeah. on, on the Hill. I think um, – and we, Alfred and I, uh, our privacy reporter, wrote, wrote about this uh, a few weeks ago – the tech lobby is just not focused on what's going on in Washington right now on, on data privacy. Uh, they're more interested in what's going on in the states. Over a dozen states now have privacy bills. Uh, I think about seven have moved this year alone. Um, and uh, with that pressure focused on the states instead of in D.C., I just think there's less appetite for, for movement in Washington. Listen, uh, Brendan and Rebecca, I know you will both be continuing to cover all of this drama as it unfolds. So uh, if you're listening and you have intel, reach out to us with your scoops. Um, but listen, thank you both uh, for being on the podcast today. Yeah, sure. Thanks hey. for having me. Thanks for having us. That's all for Politico Tech today. What are you expecting the House to accomplish in the next few months? Tell us at techpodcast at politico.com. And for more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.